Our second Bible reading tonight is from Mark chapter 8, starting from verse 31, so if you'd like to flick to that. Mark chapter 8. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? This is the word of the Lord. Before I speak on following Jesus in his mission, let me introduce uh, our leader for, for SIM for the state of Victoria and Tasmania, Neil Sim and his wife Lisa. Uh, so after the service, we'll be in the room having supper with you all. So if you have questions... Uh, feel free to ask them as well as for me. Uh, so following Jesus in his mission. As you um, heard that for my wife and I, we spent the bulk of our years either working as, as missionaries or uh, volunteering. So by the time it was time to buy a house, we didn't have much savings. My parents helped us with the deposit of the house. So way back in 93, we only needed to look at five houses. We didn't want to be too far from our parents in Sydney. So for me as a male, that's a great thing that there were only five houses to choose from because they were all that we could afford. So when our friends were helping us move, a friend looked around as they helped us and said, oh, this is a nice house for a first house. And I thought, have I been complimented or insulted? Well, in Sydney, as it's probably a similar phenomenon in Melbourne, people don't stay in the first house that they're bought because after three, four, five years, you go to a better house and so on and so forth. So, for, so we went to Kenya, we returned, and when we returned, Stephen was four. Between the ages of eight and 12, Stephen really struggled with the house we live in because all his mates lived in better houses. And we had conversations that went something like this. When Stephen would say to me, Dad, I wish you had stayed working as a medical doctor in Australia because then you would have earned lots of money. We could have a better house, bigger, two stories with a swimming pool. And then you can buy me. And he had a long list of things I could buy him. I tried to explain, Stephen, for your mum and I, life is not about the house we live in. It's about following Jesus and doing what he wants us to do. He replied, Dad, you can say you follow Jesus and do whatever you want. People at church do that. Can we say that we follow Jesus, then do whatever we want? 
What was quite confusing for Stephen was that for many of his friends who lived in better, bigger houses, where were they on Sundays? At church. So in his mind, how come they say they follow Jesus, but then they do whatever they want? And I would freely admit to you, it was a struggle for me. And at times, as I think about it, it's a struggle that, that, because it was true. All Stephen's friends had better houses than we did. And I'm, I'm not saying that for you to feel sorry for me. Hey, the house keeps us dry when it's raining and relatively warm in, in winter. We don't have central heating and all that. But what more do we want from a house? We've done some repairs on it, so guess where I live today? The same house we bought back in 93. Am I under mortgage pressure? No. So if you want a free financial advice, even though I'm not a financial advisor, so is that if you want to pay off your mortgage, stay in the same house. The first house you bought. Because some of my friends, they have higher mortgages because they kept moving to bigger, better houses. But it was hard for me that my son thought of me as a failure because all the dads, the dads of all his mates, lived in better houses. That's what it means for me to follow Jesus. So I didn't title this following Jesus because I want to make it clear that I don't believe you can say you follow Jesus and do whatever you want. If we say we follow Jesus, it's not about what we want, it's what he wants. And that's why I've titled this following Jesus in his mission. So let me ask some hard questions. Would you allow me to ask hard questions? Thanks, Anna. Anna's there nodding her head. Um, maybe you don't have a choice anyway because, you know, I'm a visiting speaker. If you're unhappy with me, hey, you can't slash the tires of my car. You don't know which car I came in. And then John and Chris will just get all the complaint. Because in my culture, in Africa, you're supposed to be gentle. And you're supposed to sort of beat around the bush. But, you know, I don't have very long... And so, would you allow me to be Aussie tonight and just be blunt? So, here's being blunt. How does following Jesus in his mission impact my life, my relationships, my ambition, my lifestyle, the priorities, the choices, the investments? If someone were to look at your bank statements, see where you spend your money, where you invest, can they tell that you're following Jesus in his mission? And so if I have a scale here, that back, way back here, that it makes negligible difference. You're like Stephen. You, you just say you follow Jesus and do whatever you want. Maybe we move along here that it makes a slight or a moderate, and then way over here, radical, whatever that looks like. That following Jesus in his mission radically impacts every area of our lives. Where would you place yourself? Where would Jesus place you? along this continuum and that's not to condemn or put anybody on a guilt trip because my concern is if you're over here what would it take you to move this way if you're over here what would it take you to keep growing and some of you who are older a bit of warning for us those of us who um, are, are older like in the 40s 50s or whatever because I have some friends who used to be bold and courageous as witnesses of Jesus when they were in university where are they today well, with some of the friends I can think of, you can't even tell that they're followers of Jesus. 
Somewhere along the line, they got confused what it means to follow Jesus. So the, the two Bible readings we have, we read, are, are what happened with the disciples. Early, they really started really well. Peter and um, his mates were fishermen. Jesus comes along and says, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And look at their dramatic response. You talk about the radical difference it made. They're over here somewhere because it says they left their nets at once and followed Jesus. Have we left our nets? What did the nets represent for Peter and his mates? It was their livelihood, their financial security, their identity. So let me be clear that following Jesus is extremely difficult. And I would suggest if you're not finding following Jesus extremely difficult, are you really following Jesus? Or are you doing a Stephen at the age of 12? Just say what you follow Jesus, but do whatever you want. Because for Peter, as it means for all of us, to follow Jesus means that we leave our identity and security, not the way the world defines according to what we possess. We define ourselves as followers of Jesus or as his sons and daughters. Have we left our identity, security, personal plans to fulfill the mission of Jesus. As I explained to Stephen, life isn't about building a kingdom, a castle on earth. How do you put on the one hand building a kingdom for ourselves when billions of people have never heard of Jesus Christ? So let me suggest to follow Jesus in his mission, the first point is that we need to keep fighting the temptation to follow Jesus on our terms. What do I mean by that? When you sign up to a phone plan, do you remember you you get all these pages that that read uh, terms and conditions? Does anybody ever read those terms and conditions? In a gathering like this size, there's usually one or two people who are studying law or who are lawyers and and who are OCD. I just quickly go down to the bottom and tick the box because if I don't tick the box, I don't get my free phone. But what are the terms and conditions that you have given to Jesus? Jesus, these are the terms and conditions for me to follow you. As long as you comply, I will keep following you. If you fail to comply, the contract is broken. Are you aware what are your terms and conditions? We all have one. Do you know when you might discover what are your terms and conditions? It's when we suffer. When life doesn't go well, doesn't go according to our plans, that's when we identify what are our terms and conditions. I have friends who used to be full on for Jesus University. Somewhere along the line, they were disappointed with God. They gave up following Jesus. In their mind, Jesus did not comply with their terms and conditions. And that's what we read that happened with Peter. So they started well here. They left their nets. They placed their identity and security in Jesus. And then the second Bible readings, there have been some years in between. Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, about to be crucified. As we've read it, read, he starts telling them, I'm going to be crucified. And at the bottom there, it says, he spoke plainly about this. And look at Peter's response. 
shocking response. Try to imagine this scene. This happened all in public. He says, Peter took Jesus aside and began to ask polite questions. What did it say? Can you imagine Peter, a human being, rebuking the Lord of Lords? Or in Aussie, it says, Peter told Jesus off. That's what rebuke means. How would Peter do that? Well, according to Peter's terms and conditions, it didn't include suffering. What was Peter's term and condition in following Jesus? What did Peter want? What was his ambition? To be at Jesus' right hand. To be the second to IC. So Jesus knew that it wasn't just Peter who struggled with this, just like many, if not all of us, struggle with this. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, rebuked Peter, said, Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus rebuked Peter. So I want to be clear that that I'm not doing deep exegesis because some passages of the Bible, it's not so much that it's hard to understand, it's hard to apply. When Jesus says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of people, what's there to understand? You don't need deep exegesis for that. The hard work is putting it into practice. So the next passage we'll read is how do we practice that. So in South America, they talk about this, that you could have the theory, but it must be translated into action. And when we take the action, I believe it strengthens our conviction. So if my theory is life is not about me, it's about God and following, fulfilling his mission, my action is the house that I live in. As I live in that house, even though my son thought of me as a failure, While I struggle with that, it strengthened my conviction, life is not about me. And as this diagram shows, it gets closer. So our experience, the intimacy with Jesus, as I mentioned, even when I witness and I get ridiculed, it's not nice to be ridiculed. It reminds me of the times I got bullied, people laughed at me. But even in those moments, it strengthened my conviction, life is not about me. It's all right for me to be ridiculed because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what my reputation, what people think of me. It's more important what Jesus thinks of me. So what practice do you need to do to follow Jesus in his mission? Because in Australia, we have the whirlpool of self-absorption. The marketing in Australia is one of the most effective in the world, powerful. It constantly bombards us with the messages that life is about you. You are the most important. Now, they go on to say you're the most important and you'd have a better life if you buy our product, if you sign up to our superannuation plan, etc. If you buy this house, you would feel better about yourself. Where might we be tempted to be self-absorbed? Just like Peter and his friends struggled. Think about it. When was the last time you saw any advertising, or for that matter, anything on social media that reminded you life is not about you? 
It's about following Jesus and fulfilling his mission. Jesus knew that that was what the disciples struggled, so he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I love the honesty of Jesus and the clarity. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must fight the whirlpool of self-absorption. You must stop following me on your terms and conditions. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross, which is an instrument of death, and then follow Jesus. So in other words, Jesus says, how much will it cost you to follow Jesus? How much will it cost me? Everything. He will not accept any less. He is not worthy of any less than our entire devotion. Jesus knew he was asking a lot, so he said, work it out. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. He says, it's going to cost you everything, but work it out and realize if you're not willing to pay everything, you will lose your soul. That's why Jesus went on to say, what good is it for a person to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can a person give in exchange for his or her soul? Sometimes when I read these words, the person that comes to mind for me is Steve Jobs. I mean, who wouldn't want to be Steve Jobs, to have such creativity? Now, by the way, God gifted him all that creativity that he could invent all that Apple stuff to be a multi, I don't know, he probably was a multi-billionaire by the time he died. To have such influence, yet he got cancer, he spent millions of dollars. Where did it get him about fighting his cancer? He still died. As far as I know, he never submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He lost his soul. What good was it that he invented all that Apple stuff and became a multi-billionaire? These are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. So to follow Jesus in his mission is extremely difficult. We need to fight the whirlpool of self-absorption and it will cost us everything. Jesus knows how hard that is to follow him. The great news is that we don't have to do it in our own strength. So it's Jesus who empowers us to be his witnesses. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you might be able to identify with how I was in high school. Wounded, shy, can hardly talk to other people, let alone share the good news. Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit. He's calling us to follow him and to take one step at a time. So out of this is a straightforward definition. For me, mission, straightforward ways to be Christ's witness, local. So our family and friends, people with work and study with who don't know Jesus. Cross-cultural were the Samaritans. Jesus said, go to Samaria. 
God's bringing people from all over the world to our doorsteps. And it's exciting for me to see the diversity in cultures here. As I said, it's very different Australia than when we first came in 71. God's bringing people from all over the world. There's immigrants, refugees, students, tourists. So last week, for example, one of our staff members asked us to pray for her because in August is to pray for a preparation because in August he's going on a mission trip to the Gold Coast. And uh, some of us were a bit skeptical. I have never heard of a mission trip to the Gold Coast. And she says, no, this is for real. So we're all gracious people, so we gave her an opportunity to explain. She said, I'm joining a team of about 30 people to reach Saudi Arabians at the Gold Coast. I didn't know that every July, August, something like 20,000 Saudi Arabians come to the Gold Coast to escape the heat, that their summer. And so she's going to be walking along the streets and beaches, witnessing to people from, to women, she can't witness to men, to women from Saudi. So God's giving us all these opportunities. So what will it take to make the most of all these opportunities? And those of us who are non-white, sometimes it takes a non-white to reach another non-white because they, they, they let their guard down. But those of you who are whites, you just never know. Welcome all these refugees. And, and I welcomed somebody to Australia the other day, and she said, that's the first time somebody said to me, welcome to Australia. So let's make the most of this. But notice Jesus didn't say, when you've reached all of Jerusalem, think about Samaria, then beyond. He said, be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So it's got to be local, cross-cultural, and global simultaneously. Because the reality is that most people who have never heard of Jesus Christ will not be able to come to Australia. They live in, most of them are in these countries that are red, the volatile countries. But that's where most people, the highest proportion of people compared to the fewer witness. Most people in these countries like Pakistan, Bangladesh, if they want to shake the hand of a believer, a follower of Jesus, and ask them about the good news, they would not be able to find someone. So I don't know what comes into your mind when you hear the term unreached peoples. I hope you don't think of extremists and militant. I've visited Pakistan. I've been to Jordan and Egypt, Lebanon. I didn't meet any extremists. The people I met, I sat in their living rooms. They were hungry. So I wonder whether most people who are unreached are simply unreached because no one has gone to be with them and share about Jesus. So this is a picture of a people in a remote part of China. When some of our team members started going and visiting them, every time they went, their, the living rooms or houses would be packed of people who are wanting to hear about Bible stories. We read the stories of the gospel, and um, sometime last year, the first person committed their life to follow Jesus. So um, I'll be up front. Following Jesus is extremely difficult. Um, there, when you think about the huge needs of people who've never heard of Jesus, I mean, you might have days like this donkey. And I don't mean just individually, like as a church, as, as a Bible study group, as we fight spiritual warfare. But then if you and I never have days like this donkey, why do we need faith? 
And it's when we are helpless that we experience the empowering of God. So let's take the actions, practice, pray. What would it look like if we pray at least half of our time? So it was great to hear about those um, tips about family devotions and then great to hear the family leading their children and praying for missionaries. That, that's a great start because what would it look like if we invest at least half of our praying for other needs beyond ourselves, beyond our own communities, particularly to people who've never heard of Jesus? Give, give courageously. Send people as you're doing. And then for all of us to go, whether it be to family, friends, people we work or study with, people of other cultures, witness to them. But in the gathering desires, there are some of you God wants to send out to these nations where people do not have the opportunity to hear of Jesus. And let me wrap up then with the motivation. Why bother doing it? You might be feeling some guilt or some fear. That, that's not my intention. Because the motivation or guilt or fear will not last. And I want to be upfront and honest with you. I will give you a guarantee. If you follow Jesus in his mission, I guarantee you, you will suffer. Okay? I don't want to be ever accused of false advertising. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus was honest. Take up your cross. Follow me daily. Deny yourself. That equals suffering. So why do it? Why be motivated to suffer? In Australia... The least that happens to us usually is ridicule. People laugh at us for following Jesus. So why be motivated to do that? Well, the motivation that will last is love for God and love for people, especially people who've never heard of Jesus. So I'll close with this story. When I was first heading off to Africa way back in the 80s, my friends wanted to give me a good farewell party. They knew I was leaving for at least three years. At that time in Sydney, uh, at a fancy hotel, they had a chocolate festival where you pay a lot of money at the door. My friends paid for me, and you come to a room about the size of this room, like a big ballroom, and there were all these tables lined with chocolate you could imagine, every bit of chocolate. Parfait, cheesecake, those liqueur-scented chocolates, ice cream, you name it. You can have as much as you like, and I did. And eventually I had to go to the toilet. And um, I passed by another hall where there was a medical conference, a signboard and the speakers. And there I was washing my hands. I had my fill of delicious chocolate. Everything was beautiful, gold-plated, glittery. And I had these deep thoughts. You can enjoy this lifestyle It doesn't have to happen because your friends are paying for you. If you stay working as a medical doctor in Australia, seven to ten years you start to get invitations to conferences like this. Stay as a medical doctor in Australia, 15, 20 years, earn lots of money, you can afford to stay in hotels like this for your holidays. But you're giving up this lifestyle, you're throwing it away. What for? Is it worth it? Having these deep Thoughts and questions while I was washing my hands. I mean, by then they were sterile. I could have done surgery. (laughs) You might be tempted to ask the same question in the weeks, months to come. Especially when we suffer as we follow Jesus in his mission. 
as we fight the whirlpool of self-absorption. True, I have given up that lifestyle. Would you please remember, the question is not, is it worth it? I did not give up that lifestyle for an it. It wasn't for my home church. It wasn't for SIM. The question needs to always be, is he worth it? Is Jesus worth that much? And I had one of those rare, unnerving experiences, as if the Lord Jesus walked into that bathroom and asked me, Omar, am I worth this much to you? The presence of Jesus felt so real, I almost had tears, and I wanted to shout, Yes, Jesus, you're worth this much and much more because you died for me. Paul puts it best in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. That those who live, those of us who've received his gift of life, should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. Jesus is worthy of our entire devotion. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped by people of all nations. Will you stand as we close in prayer? Let me give you some moments of quietness for you to respond to the Lord Jesus from your hearts to declare to him what he is worthy of from you. Father, how good it is to be able to come to you as your daughters and as your sons and call you Father. We've been reminded this evening that throughout the world there are billions of people who don't know you. People who follow the religion of Islam could not even imagine they can call the Almighty God Father. We who once were rebels and in darkness, thank you that you rescued us. And Father, I sense many of my sisters and brothers, we want to come to you just as we are and we want to be honest with you and to confess that we have been distracted at times. We've been caught in the whirlpool of self-absorption. And as we confess this, let us remember the words of God that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sins. And so remember, there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And let us respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And follow Jesus in his mission. I want to pray especially those who feel inadequate to witness that um, our hearts are often filled with fear. Father, we cry out to you in our inadequacies and would you go from here remembering 
That is Jesus who has empowered you already. Jesus is the one who has said to us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let us receive his empowering and be his witnesses to whoever he sends us to. So we commit one another, Father, to your grace, to your peace, and to your love. In Jesus' name, amen.